1 Kings chapter 18, verses 25 through 39 is where we are looking this morning, continuing through failure and faithfulness of the, the books of Kings, First and Second Kings. This morning we're looking at the one true God. That's what Elijah was proving. Uh, some of that was to prove that he was actually a prophet of God, but primarily it's well, we're going to talk about it. We don't want to get ahead of ourselves uh, too quickly. Uh, let's look at our memory verse from uh, 1 Kings 8.23. Let's say it together. A few more blanks uh, this morning, but they're, they're easy ones. That was nice to us again. Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or above or on earth below who heeds covenant. Oops. Who does what? Keeps the gracious covenant. Let's start there. Who keeps the gracious covenant with your servants who walk before you with all their heart. 1 Kings 8.23. Singular heart. I heard some S's, but you know I missed a whole word, so I can't complain <laughs> about y'all too much. 1 Kings 18.25-39. through 39. If you grew up in children's Sunday school, I'm sure we teach it a lot in adult Sunday school, but if you grew up going to children's Sunday school, you heard this story a lot. Maybe not as much as the chariot, uh, the whirlwind of fire that Elijah went up in. That one was always good for flannel board too. But this one, they, they could draw incredible uh, paintings of it. And, and this, we talk about this passage a lot. But you might not have grown up in children's Sunday school. And you might not have gone to adult Sunday school and heard this passage. What we're going to see this morning is very familiar to some of us and maybe foreign to some others of us. But somewhere in between there, we should all go uh, look at this passage and go, which side am I on? Am I on the side of Baal or am I on the side of Yahweh? Now, most believers, if you ask the believer, who uh, uh, do you follow, they'll tell you they don't waver between two opinions of God, of who God is. That will be their testimony. That will be their statement. And yet, if we watch them, if we listen to them, honestly, if we would watch and listen to ourselves, our actions and our words often state otherwise. Yes, I believe God. I'm just not going to do what he says. Yes, I trust God. I just don't trust him with this. I got to take care of this one for me. Yes, I uh, believe that there are no other gods before him. Yet on Sunday morning, if something better comes up, I'll skip church to go do that, whether it's the, uh, the lake or the game or the whatever. Yes, I... But... Now I'm not talking about, some of y'all going, we just went to the lake last week. No, I ain't talking about a couple of times a year. I'm talking about every other week. You know, there, there's, there, we all get vacations. Uh, we all go places. Don't, don't hang the, the messenger here. But our actions and our words don't always comport to what we say we believe. In Israel's case specifically, their leader had wavered. Ahab had wavered. Ahab knew who he was supposed to follow. Ahab knew who he was supposed to uh, choose between, and he had chosen Baal primarily because of the leading of his wife, but his fathers didn't do any better. Uh, this is the northern kingdom now that we're talking about, the northern kingdom of Israel, not the southern kingdom of Judah. Israel, if you compare Israel and Judah, Israel had the worst kings, or had more of them anyway. Um, but uh, the leader had wavered. Last week we talked about Asa and, and his kingship in the southern kingdom. Sometimes the leaders have to be removed because they have wavered. They've wavered from the calling. They have wavered from their commitment. They no longer follow the Lord. They are of two opinions depending on the situation. Asa had to remove grandmama because she would not follow the Lord. She instead followed Asherah. Leadership is vital when it comes to 
a group, a congregation, a, 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 a nation in this case, following the Lord and believing who the one true God is. But as vital as leadership is, as important as leadership is, that is not the most important thing. Your assurance, you, your specific context must come from your own experience with God and His Word. This is discipleship. That's why this morning isn't enough for you to grow in your faith as you should. Coming in here this morning isn't enough. Go into a connect group. Both of those are great, and you should be doing them. Going to a discipleship D group on Sunday evenings, that's a part of it. But if you are just doing, uh, you only have an hour or two or maybe three segmented out of your entire week, you won't be growing in your faith. Our assurance, our ability to choose between Baal and Yahweh comes because we have spent time with Yahweh more than we have spent time with Baal. And sadly, most of our discipleship comes from Baal, comes from the world, comes from the false gods that we put in the place of God. And so Elijah disciples Israel here with an all-day illustration. He didn't preach an all-day sermon. I'd love him if he did. Um, Ezra did. Uh, Ezra preached an all-day sermon. Elijah didn't. Elijah had an all-day illustration. He gave his opening introduction and then gave the rest of the day for the illustration. And we're going to see that come evening, he offers the conclusion to his sermon. We won't take that long, probably. 1 Kings 18, verses 25 through 39. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of the Lord, uh, the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, probably about 6 a.m., maybe 8-ish. So we're looking at four to six hours, right, of this illustration. He's given the introduction. Now he's begun the illustration. Uh, From morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. Or hobbled around is actually what it's talking, the word that's used here. It wasn't like they had choreography and certain dance moves so that it looked pretty. They gyrated and, 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 and hitched in their get-alongs and all sorts. It just, eh. At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he's God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he has wandered away. You know what that says in the Hebrew? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them all afternoon. Right? So now we've gone noon into the afternoon. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. Now I didn't look to see what time the evening sacrifice is. The the evening ends at 6 p.m. at around 6 p.m. at sunset. So we're talking about around 5 or so. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Why did nobody answer? Why did no one pay attention? Because nobody was home. The God wasn't traveling. The God wasn't there. Then, verse 30, then Elijah said to all the people, come near me. So all the people approached him. Then he repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name, meaning you will be my people. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. 
Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, and placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. At the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. I make a great scene in a movie with today's special effects. Man, they could do this phenomenally. And yet, all the, the special effects of industrial light and magic, it's the company that does Marvel and Star Wars, could not compare to that day being there and seeing that happen. Watching all this occur, having spent all day watching the insanity of this group and then Elijah comes to the altar and prays a simple prayer. And everything burns up. Well, let's see what it says. We can kind of break this passage down into some, some segments. Uh, narrative is, is usually more difficult to break down into points just because of the way it, it, it flows. But this actually does really well for us. First, we see the failure of the false gods in verses 25 through 29. He, he tells them the, 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 the rules are the same for both sides. Uh, sacrifice, altar, uh, but you just can't, you can't strike a match. Your God has to bring the fire. And they've got a, a fairly simple one. Now, it's not easy to burn meat. You, you've got to get it hot enough to catch the meat on fire. You can't just stick a match to it and, you know, it lights. It, they don't have any kindling, it doesn't look like. It's just they have their sacrifice, and your God bring the fire. So they did all that he said. They, they got the bull, they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal for something like uh, 9 to 11 hours. And they tried every trick in their book, everything that they knew to do. They, they danced, they hobbled, they did whatever, they, they contorted themselves, they screamed, they yelled, they cut themselves with knives and spears because that's supposed to make Baal happy. Oh good, you're, you're hurting yourself, now I'll answer. They go through so much to get their God to reply, to do something that he is supposed to be the God of, right? Let's go back to, uh, I believe it's chapter 17, yeah, chapter 17, where Elijah shows up at Ahab's doorstep and says, by the way, there's going to be a drought for three years, famine, nothing, no water, nowhere. I am going to take away the power of your God that you worship and you serve and claim is so great. The one who you depend on for the very storms that bring water, rain, and life to your fields, I'm going to shut him up. His name? Baal. This whole drought was God's working against Ahab, Jezebel, and the people of Israel who followed this false god. They thought Baal would do all this stuff for them. And finally now we're toward the end of the three years, the end of the three-year drought, the three-year famine. And 
Elijah shows up and says, we're going to prove this once and for all. Y'all didn't get it that, that when, we, when I said, no more rain, because God told me to, when, when I stopped the rain by the power of God, y'all didn't get it that that was proof that Baal was powerless. Even if he exists, he has no power over God. I'm going to prove to you today, finally, that he doesn't even exist Bring your, bring your sacrifice. Let Baal, the god of storms, the god of thunder, the god of lightning, let him strike the sacrifice and burn it, if he's so great. On your mark, get set, go. And for 11 hours, over and over and over they prove their God was no God. In the middle of it, Elijah has some fun. It's great. I love it. Sure. You, wait. Oh, Baal's God, a God, right? I mean, y'all said he's a God. Why isn't he doing God things? God things. You said Baal can do storms and fire and stuff, and yet hadn't been raining in three years, and he can't even do this simple, just a lightning bolt. We don't, we don't need rain for this. Just a lightning, just fire. That's all you need. And the false gods proved to be worthless. We will find this in our own lives. Every time we choose to put something before God, we will find that that has no power. It does not do the thing that we think it will do. Every sin shines brighter and looks nicer than it will ever be when we actually experience it. When we put other things before God, we find, often in the most dramatic of fashions, that they have no power to satisfy like God does. See the failure of false gods. Then we see the devotion of the leader. Verses 30 and 32. Elijah said, come on, come up here. And 30 and 31, 32, show us how he meticulously prepares the altar. Apparently there had possibly been, uh, there, there had been an altar there at this site before, an altar to the Lord. Um, he repairs that and he gets the 12 stones. And you know the people are thinking as he repairs and builds this altar. They're going, what's, what's he doing the stones for? One, two, tw oh, tw oh, twelve. Ah, uh, yeah, the, the tribes. Yeah, the, what we started out as. What was brought from Egypt first up into, after the 40-year wandering, up into the promised land and across the Jordan. And we were supposed to be a nation who followed the Lord, Israel. And now the northern kingdom, who follows God less than the southern kingdom, actually took the name Israel. The, the southern kingdom took the name of the largest tribe, pretty much the only tribe that was in uh, the uh, southern kingdom, Judah and little bitty tribe of Benjamin. And so it took the name Judah, and, it, and, and the northern kingdom got the name Israel. And he's telling Israel, who's kind of a false Israel at this point, this is who you are supposed to be. This, the, the 12 tribes united on this altar. Coming together to do what? To worship. Worship by sacrifice. See, Elijah was devoted not to tradition, not to uh, some man-made thing, but to what God had set apart, to what God was doing and had done in the past and would continue to do if his people would follow him. He says, this is who we are supposed to be as he builds this altar of 12 stones. A united people serving the Lord with a missionary calling to affect the nations for Yahweh all around us. And now we are a divided kingdom. You take the name Israel, but this is Israel. 
believers. Are we a united church that comes together to worship and be discipled? But are, or are we a divided church? One side over here, old versus young. Older, uh, long-time member versus new member. Traditional versus contemporary. Or are we coming together to worship as a church, to be united as a church, to do the things that the Bible says to do as a church, ignoring the trappings and as, insofar as we do our preferences, but looking at them as how can we remove any stumbling block that might be there for those coming from the outside? It's why we have a cry room with a TV. It's why we have a nursery. It's why we have kids' tables. Oftentimes, church is a, uh, or, or loud children are a stumbling block for a family. They feel bad coming in and bringing a noisy child. We want to remove that from their uh, book of hindrances and say, bring your noisy kid. And if it's too noisy for you, then we've got a place, and we've got a place, and we've got a place. Coming together in unity to do what is best to reach the most people for Jesus. Coming together under Elijah as he led the people properly. Whether they thought it was even necessary, good, or or helpful. They were probably thinking, just put the bull up there and let God burn it if he can. And he says, no. No, God said an altar should not be from cut stone. It should be built from living stone. It has to be a certain way. I am going to do this the way the Lord said do it, not the way they or they or they think it should be done. The leader was devoted. The third section we see in this narrative is the cost of faith. So he's built this altar. He's got the bull. He's, uh, he should be done at this point. But in verse 33, they were probably wondering anyway, what's this trench around the altar for? A trench that would hold four gallons. That, that's uh, the, the amount. So this wasn't a huge Altar, uh, a four-gallon trench, wouldn't, wouldn't really be that big or that deep. And we see why he has a four-gallon trench in verses, three, uh, verses 33 through 35. Arrange the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the altar, or placed it on the wood. He said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the offering to be burned and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. And then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. So three pots. The pots were probably a couple of gallons. You know, their pots were, were heavy uh, ceramic pots, so they, they couldn't get huge ones unless it was two or three men that were... They were using. So it was probably a couple of gallons. Did that three times. That's six gallons of water, if my math doesn't fail me. And the trench around there holds four gallons, and he filled the trench up. So at the very least, we're talking about ten gallons of water. Well, it's, 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 it's dumb enough to wet the wood anyway, right? Uh, you, you don't, when you want to build a fire, you don't pour water over the wood. But do you remember that they were at the tail end of a three-year drought? And Elijah says, go get the most precious thing you have right now. Water. And sacrifice it. That bull probably didn't cost him a whole lot. That water was valuable. That water meant something. There was a cost of faith here on Elijah's part. 
Because the Lord has told the leader to, to sacrifice something that was, to, to give something to the Lord and say, here, this is yours. Do with it what you wish. And the people are going, he's wasting our water. We haven't had rain in three years. Y'all know what it was like in May and June here, right? Just two months without water. And they're talking about conservation and don't water your yards in the daytime. And yet they were probably getting close to telling us we had to alternate days and all that. So don't waste your water. And, and here we live in a swamp. And we can't waste water when it doesn't rain for five or six weeks. Three years in a desert. And he's pouring water out on the ground. Our faith costs. Our faith will cost our resources. We will have to say, Lord, this is yours. This is precious to me. I don't know how we can get along without this, but if you say give it, I give it. It will cost the resources because he doesn't want our dependence on them. He wants our dependence on him. He says, give me the thing you depend on so I know you no longer depend on it. We go all the way back to Abraham if we want to. When he said, give me your son, your only son. Why? Because that was the most valuable thing Abraham had. As a matter of fact, if you go back and, and read through the language of leading up to getting Isaac and having Isaac and, and the, the language that God uses about him, he refers to Abraham as, and I'm going to get this I don't remember it exactly, but basically he refers to Abraham as the dad of Isaac. The dad of Isaac, this of Isaac, of Isaac, of Isaac. It's, it's you're, you're this, you're this, you're this. And once Abraham gives up Isaac, suddenly God starts referring to him as, as his. He, he knows that Abraham has trusted him completely because he was willing to give up his most precious Resource, his most precious item. Over and over and over through Scripture, we are called to give up whatever we count as most valuable. All the way up to when Jesus told the rich young ruler, sell it all. And he went away sad because he was very rich. Actually, he said, give it away. Didn't say sell it. Give it away. He was not willing to give up that which he trusted the most. That was his bail. Isaac was Abraham's bail. Water at this point was both um, metaphorically and literally bail for them. Because Baal was the one who would bring water. He's saying, I'm going to take the very thing you trust your God to give you. I'm going to burn it up too. People, we have got to put on the altar those things that we trust instead of God. I've asked you this before. Whose church is it? Not mine, not yours. It's God's. Jesus' church, actually, if we want to get very specific, because he bought it with the cross. It's his church. And we have got to put those things that we think are most important all the way up to and including money on the altar and say, it's yours. Do with it what you will. And trust me, I don't like this part. I don't like not having the cushion and the fallback. I don't like when the money gets down to nothing or the potential of money getting down to nothing and yet if I trust the money more than I trust God I have not wavered between two opinions I have chosen Baal and I am not following God and we if we put our faith in the budget we will have chosen Baal and we have not chosen God faith costs 
Fourth, we see Elijah's prayer of faith. No screaming, no yelling, no cutting, no demonstrations of, of any kind. He walks up to the altar at the time for offering the evening sacrifice. I ain't going to make a whole big sermon out of that one little phrase because it's not the way you do it, that, that you leads you into some bad stuff. But I'll just say, Elijah showed up for church when it was time for church and asked God to do what God already wanted to do in the act of what in just a few minutes would be corporate worship. Shows up at the time of the evening's offering. He approached the altar and he prayed. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Now, do y'all notice anything different about that phrase? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and finish it. I heard some of you say Jacob. That's what we're used to, isn't it? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, Again, if we've grown up in church, we know that God changed Jacob's name to Israel. But yet, rarely were they, was, the, referred, was God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. It was Jacob. Elijah is proving a point one more time. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and even y'all, Israel... Even you who are fake Israel, pseudo-Israel, you're not the real Israel because you're not the Davidic king. You don't worship in Jerusalem. You don't come to the temple. You haven't followed God since the day you were founded. And yet, he is still the God of you. And for all your gyrations, for all your cutting, for all of your screaming and yelling, Baal is no God at all. O oh God, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. And that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. That answer me, that word comes up a lot. Back when they're yelling to Baal, answer us, Baal, answer us, Baal. And he says, nobody answering, nobody home. Maybe he's in the back of the house. Maybe he's in the outhouse. Maybe, uh, maybe he's gone on a trip. Nobody's answering. But you know what, Lord? Answer. It's a prayer of faith. Faith because he knows he doesn't have to do anything. Faith because he knows doing something wouldn't make a difference. The, 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 whole, the whole definition of faith is not doing. I have faith. We, we don't believe that we are saved by works. We are saved by faith. We are saved by not doing. We are saved by believing, not by actions. These folks were trying to be saved by their actions. And Elijah walks up and says, y'all, it's your faith in the one true God that can save you. And only your faith in the one true God who can save you. But how else was this a prayer of faith? How did Elijah know that God was going to send the fire? How did Elijah know that he wasn't going to have to get some kindling and wait for everything to dry out and start over again? Because he asked for what God was already doing and what God already wanted to do. Elijah was just doing what he was told. Think back years and years and years ago to 2017. And us going through experiencing God. And, and we, we talked about, it. one of Henry Blackaby's big things is, find where God is already working, where he has shown you he is, work, he is working, and join him there. That is all Elijah did. Elijah's prayer of faith was a prayer of faith because God was already working. 
See, a prayer of faith aligns you with God, not God with you. That's what we think. If I, have, if I pray this prayer of faith, if I pray this strong enough, if I believe this hard enough, then God's going to do what I want. Nope. He's not. Our prayer must align us with God. If we are spending time with the Lord, if we are doing as the Psalms say and are uh, uh, pray, uh, asking the desires of our heart, and we are focused on God before we ask, our desires will be God's desires. Our will will be God's will. And our prayer of faith will be answered because we were praying what God wanted us to pray anyway. Well, Michael, that's not faith. Oh, really? It's not. It's it's not faith to expect fire from heaven to come and burn up wet wood and cow meat. That's not faith? Well, God, he already knew God was going to do it. Yeah? I know a lot of things are going to happen until they don't. That wasn't faith. That was wishing. Faith, hope, confident assurance is me aligning myself with what God has already said he wants to do. What did God want to do here? Well, God told Elijah to build the altar and do all of this. But we know God wanted to bring the people back to himself. We know that God wanted Israel, the northern kingdom, to follow him. To turn their hearts back to him. Verse 37, answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God And that you have turned their hearts back. Jesus wants to save people. So it requires no great prayer of faith on our part. To know when to share the gospel with somebody. I don't think there's ever a wrong time. There may be a bad way. But it's never, I never have to pray, Lord, is, is this when you want me to share the gospel? I, I just, I think the answer is yes. Because God always wants to save people. He is always working on hearts. And we don't know where it is. And we may be the seed planter, we may be the seed waterer, or we may be the produce harvester. But that never changes the fact that we are called commanded, directed, sent to share the gospel. And so we pray in faith knowing that God wants to do it too, wants to save people. And we align ourselves with him. Verse 38 shows us the response of God. God answers. Fabulously. You know, it would have been enough just to burn the sacrifice, just to burn up the bull. Big enough deal to burn even the wood, wet wood, wet bull. Uh, Okay, burn that up. But he burns the stones, the the dust. I'm, I'm assuming that dust that it's talking about is what was dug up out of the trench and the water. All three get burned up. God, show yourself to these people so that their hearts will turn back to you. No stipulations in that prayer. God, do it this way because I think this is the way it ought to be done. God, I suggest it go this and this and this. And probably if you could do this too, that would be great. No, God, you do what you want to do in order to show yourself to these people so that their hearts will be turned back. And God shows up spectacularly at the end of that prayer. And he shows them who he is in as much of his glory as they could handle. And in ways that they could only say God did. God answered according to his will. 
because Elijah prayed according to God's will. And when he showed up, when he answered, it proved to them that he was the one true God and no one or nothing else is. Baal didn't make a peep and God burns it all up in an instant. We've got to give up on our bales. Our bales will never respond. They will never give us the answer that we think we want, we think we need. We'll do all sorts of things to keep them, to get them, and they will never respond. And God, when we pray in faith, responds instantly because our prayer of faith conforms us to his will and not him to ours folks we can pray in faith for healing and that healing not come because we are praying for God's will in his will and therefore he has answered that prayer according to his will, and we can rejoice in his answering. That's easy for me to say, my heel just hurts a little bit. I don't have real problems. I get it. But I also know the God of the Bible. I know the God of Job. I know the God of Ecclesiastes. I know the God of Lamentations, the God of Jeremiah, who preached his entire life and never saw a convert. I know that those were prayers of faith. And I know the God who said, I'm sufficient to Paul and Jeremiah and Job and Solomon probably with Ecclesiastes, and so many others. It's the same God that tells me, buddy, stay in my will. Pray in my will. And I will answer your prayers, but I'll answer them better than you think they could be answered. And when God shows up, when God answers, we see finally the response of the people in verse 39. When all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Let me tell you right now, don't wait for God to do something like that to bring you back. Spectacular. I would love to see that sort of thing to bring people to Jesus. I lament that that might be the thing necessary to bring believers back to Jesus. We should never get to that point. We should never be, wait. well, if God had just burned up some water, I guess I'd come back to church. How about you just be faithful to the Lord because he's been faithful to you and follow him and serve him because that's what we're supposed to do. When the people saw the false gods fail, and they saw the man of faith's prayer of faith, and God answer in faith, they had faith. Folks, how you respond and pray in difficulties of faith shows everybody what you truly believe. This is a bad situation. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to do this and this and this to fix it. Bail. You, you, that's your opinion. This is a bad situation. I don't know what we're going to do to fix it. I don't know what's going to happen in this. But I trust God. And I'm going to pray as best as I can in faith. Hear his answer and move forward as he commands. Re regardless. Even if he doesn't send the fire that you want. 
It's a hypothetical, and we shouldn't get too far into this, and I'm not going to. But if God hadn't sent the fire, would he still be God? If God doesn't fix your problem, will he still be God? If he doesn't cure you, will he still be God? If he doesn't provide the resources you think you need, will he still be God? How you respond and pray in difficulties of faith shows what you truly believe. And how you respond and pray in difficulties of faith affects your witness. Now we know it's a moot point. God was going to send the fire because his purpose was to prove that he was God, Elijah was his servant, and to call the people back. So, it was a part of Elijah's witness for this to happen, for the prayer of faith to be answered. It's a part of your witness. If you pray in God's will, if you pray in faith, For you to say, the Lord has answered. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right there with Job. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I'm going to die. The Lord has given. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can Can we do that? No matter what. There is one true God. There is one in whom we place our trust, and he responds to all prayers of faith without the need for show or excess. God is not asking you to do something crazy to prove that you serve him before he answers your prayer of faith. God may ask you to do something crazy. I ain't saying he's not going to do that. He may call you to go somewhere, and you say, Lord, that's crazy. He might call you to, I don't know, Sulphur, Louisiana. You go, what? But he will never require you to put on a show, to mutilate yourself, to do anything to earn his answer. He only requires the prayer of faith. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He doesn't require any show. He doesn't require any sacrifice, any bull, any... He doesn't require you to clean up to come to Him. You know what He requires? A prayer of faith. Belief. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Our sin causes our eternal separation from God. And we might think in order to fix that, we've got to uh, dance or hobble and shout loudly and scream all day long and and cut ourselves and, and mutilate ourselves and all these other things. And he says, you know what? We'll talk about all the stuff that you need to stop and give up. And, and we're going to talk about that later. But right now, I want you to pray a simple prayer of faith. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know my sin separates me from you. And I know that nothing I do, no works can save me. Only my faith in you, Jesus. Save me from my sins. I believe that you are the gift of God. You are the only way to eternal life. I give my life to you. There's the sacrifice. There's the altar. You want to know what uh, what Jesus wants from you today? Just everything. That's all. He wants your life. And for it, you get eternity. You get a spectacular God who shows up when you need him and answers every prayer you pray in faith, who will save your soul for an eternity with him.
Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, you show up spectacularly. And God, we want the spectacle sometimes of the fire falling. And sometimes we want the spectacle of the, the fire moving through the forest like Elijah saw. And sometimes we want the spectacle of the earthquake and you shattering mountains. And we want all of this spectacle. And sometimes you come in the spectacle of the stillest, smallest voice. And you just say, I'm here. And God, that is spectacular. The power of, I'm here from you. Strong as an earthquake, as purifying as a fire. As refreshing as rain on a drought-parched land. I'm here. The one true God, not the false God of materialism, not the false God of family, not the false God of finances, not the false God of self-help, not the false God of politics, but the one true God, the, the one we need. Lord, thank you that you answer our prayers of faith. And I pray for someone who's listening who has never trusted Jesus as Savior. I pray that they would pray that prayer of faith. That they trust you, trust Jesus as their Savior. They give their hearts and lives to you. And Lord, that like Elijah, we would come as a church together one altar, one worship, one family in unity to be an example to the world of the one true God. May that be so. And may we burn up whatever we need to in order to be the example to the world that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.